Please remain standing today as I read this morning's scripture. This is from Luke chapter 2. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was custom of the law, what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Our kids can be dismissed down the hall. There's programming just for them. And as we start today, um, I want to play a little game. If you have uh, come from half a block away to be with us in service today, more than ha um, uh, half a block or less, raise your hand. No one. Yeah, okay. If you've come from half a block, I, I, I didn't practice this, okay? Uh, if you've come from more than half a block, raise your hand. That should be everyone. There we go. Okay. If you've come from more than, where do I live? Maybe 12 blocks? If you come from more than five miles today, would you raise your hand, okay, to be with us today? Wonderful. How about... Let's, let's step it up a little bit. How about more than 25 miles? Any more? Any still some hands? Very good. Thank you. Uh, how about more than 500 miles? Anybody with us? Let, one more. One more. How about more than 8,205 miles? Anyone? There's one. Come on up, John. Come here. I want to bring Zhang on stage because a lot of you have been praying for Zhang to be here, and he is here. Uh, rolled in Tuesday, and this is, uh, came from uh, the Philippines. Where exactly? Um, it's a small island called Kron, Kron Palawan. Kron Palawan in the Philippines. Yes. And so uh, Zhang is married to Anna. Uh, they have two kids, Naomi and Josiah, and Zhang and Anna and their kids have been separated for almost a year. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And so a lot of you were involved in praying to get Zhang here in giving and doing whatever you could so that we could get him here today, and he's here. And so welcome, man. We are glad that you're here. And uh, we, heard, we heard that you're coming from like 90-degree weather. And so uh, our weather might be a little rough for you. So there's a, there's a sweatshirt. And congratulations for being 
uh, the one that come from the farthest today. Yes, yeah. Thank you, thank you, John. Uh, I, here's what I know. There is peace in the Toll household this Christmas, right? Why? Because a person has come. Zhang has come, and they are together, and there is peace. And that's the message of Christmas, that peace is not something that we just imagine. Peace is not something that we just dial up, some scene that we conjure in our mind. It's not an environment that we step into. The message of Christmas, the message of Jesus, is that peace has come to us because of a person, because a person came to us. That's the message of Christmas. Now, uh, a couple weeks ago, we also talked about this thing, this truth, that the message of Christmas is both at the same time more wonderful than we can ever imagine, but also more terrifying than we can ever imagine. And that, that has never been more true than when we talk about the peace that is brought to us at Christmas. And so, first, let's just go through the wonderful part of Christmas and peace. It's this, that Jesus brings peace. That's the wonderful part, the wonderful news. And peace comes because there's an end to something. Wonderful peace means that there's an end to something. Whenever peace happens, there's an end to something. If you think about that, you'll find that it's true. What does peace mean to a soldier who's on the battlefield? Peace means the end of war, right? What does peace mean to uh, parents? Huh? Peace to parents means the end of a kid trying to cry themselves to sleep, right? My wife will tell you that one of the most satisfying days of her total parenthood existence came the day that she was still in bed and she heard from downstairs the clinking of bowls and spoons and a splash of milk and she realized that our kids were getting their own breakfast, right? They could do it themselves. It was the end of their dependence on us and that brought us peace. So from now on, get your own Cheerios, right? Peace. What does it mean? To a person, what does peace mean to a person that's trying to get some sleep when the neighbor dog is going nuts, barking at shadows and howling at the moon? Peace means the end of the noise, right? That's peace. And so peace usually, usually means the end of something. And in Luke chapter 2, the verses that we just read, Jesus is uh, a few weeks old. And Joseph and Mary take him, as was the custom, to the temple to be dedicated there to God. And in the temple on that day, there was a man named Simeon. And the text tells us that Simeon was a man who was righteous and devout. It also tells us that the Holy Spirit had spoken to Simeon and, and told him that he would not die until he saw with his own eyes God's promised Messiah. And so he's there at the temple that day when Joseph and Mary show up with Jesus, and somehow he realizes that this is the child. And he runs to Joseph and Mary. He scoops up Jesus in his arms. And these are his words recorded to us by Luke. They, they are known as the Nuke Dementis. 
Uh, that's uh, just the first two words out of Simeon's mouth if you're reading from the Latin Vulgate Bible. And that just means, now dismiss, now depart. And so here's what he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for your glory uh, for your people Israel. In other words, Lord, I've now seen the Christ that you promised, and now I have peace. I can depart this world, uh, the bucket list that you gave me, uh, check, it's all, it's all complete, and this was the end of waiting for Simeon. It was the end of waiting for God to show up with his plan for the world. He got to see Jesus with his own eyes, and the end of his waiting meant for Simeon peace. It was Christmas Eve in 1914, and there was a British machine gunner named Bruce Barnes' father, and she, he was shivering in a dank, muddy trench on the western fronts of the First World War. Uh, world War I, if you know anything about it, was fought using trenches. Armies would dig in hundreds of yards from each other, and the land in between was filled with barricades and barbed wire, and it was called no man's land. And Barnes' father had spent a good part of the last few months fighting the Germans as he was crouched in this little clay cavity that was three feet deep by three feet wide. His nights and days were marked by an endless cycle of sleeplessness and fear, and uh, there were stale biscuits uh, to go right along with him. And he would write in his journal that it didn't seem like he had the slightest chance of ever leaving that trench except in an ambulance. About 10 p.m., Barnes' father noticed an unusual noise. Across the field, the battlefield, among the dark shadows, he could hear the murmur of voices. And so he turned to a fellow soldier and he said, do you hear that? Do you hear the Germans kicking up this racket over there? Yeah, I do. They listened harder and they realized that the German voices were singing. They were singing Christmas carols in their trenches because it was Christmas Eve. After all, that's not a bad thing to do on Christmas Eve. And then they heard through the darkness some of the British soldiers in their own trenches begin to sing back. And so now everybody is singing in the middle of the First World War Christmas carols on Christmas Eve. And then they heard a confused shouting from the other side, and they all stopped and they listened. And there was a shout from an enemy soldier speaking in English with a strong German accent. He said, come over here. <laughs> and one of the British sergeants answered, uh, you come halfway and I'll come halfway. How about that? And what happened next for years to come would stun the world. It would make history. It came to be called the Christmas truce. And it remains one of the most storied and strangest moments of World War I and any war for that matter, because enemy soldiers began to climb out of their trenches nervously and they began to meet in the middle of that barbed wire-filled no-man's land that separated the two armies. Normally, the British and Germans communicated across no-man's land with bullets. There was only the occasional ceasefire so that people could go out onto the battlefield and collect dead bodies without harm. But now, there were handshakes, there were words of kindness, the soldiers traded more songs 
They sang together, they traded food, they traded the little else they had, and they held this spontaneous holiday Christmas party in the cold night on the western front. And Barnes' father would write in his journal, he could not believe his eyes. Here they were, the actual practical soldiers of the German army, and we were celebrating Christmas with them. And there was not an atom of hate on either side. What happened on the front of the World War I on Christmas Eve was the end, right? Albeit briefly, it was the end of the bullets and the bombs and the poisonous gas. Peace usually means the end of something. Peace lives at the end of conflict. Peace is found at the end of the war. And in Luke chapter 2, that scene on the, on the World War I front in Belgium is exactly what Simeon saw. He says this, My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared for everyone. The truth Simeon knew was that long before 1914, there was already a world war going on. Humans have been in the trenches and at war with God since sin entered the world at the fall. And no one, no, not one of us gets to walk away from that fight alive because we've all been hit by the bullets of sin. But Jesus coming into the world, a person coming into the world, means an end to our war with God. It means salvation has come. It means that there's a way to step out of the trenches without getting shot. Christmas means that we have a ceasefire with sin. It means that the God of the universe has been born in our likeness in order to save us from that sin. And so we claim Jesus' name and we sing his carols and we celebrate life with all of the other sinners who dare to crawl out of the trenches with us. Jesus brings an end to the war with God, and the end of the war means peace. Now, we love that part, right? That's the easy part. That, it sells itself. I don't even have to preach too much about that part, it, because that's how we write Christmas cards, right? Wishing you peace in the name of the Prince of Peace. Merry Christmas. It's all sugar plums, right? It's beautiful. But there's another side of peace that is absolutely threatening. Christmas is both more wonderful and more threatening than we can imagine. And the wonderful news is that Jesus brings peace, and the threatening news is that Jesus brings peace. And to understand what I mean, let's ask this of ourselves. How does peace come? How does peace come into your life? Let's ask it of our emotions. Maybe Maybe we're battling anxiety. Maybe we're battling depression. How does peace come for us? Well, one route would be to call up a therapist or, or a counselor and go to them and sit in the chair while, or the, lay on the couch while they're sitting in the chair and they have their little pad out. And what, what will they do? They will start digging around in your brain and in your thoughts and in your heart until they find something that is likely the cause of your issue. And once they find it, they will begin to ask questions about it. And it's possible, very likely, that they will bring up painful, painful memories and experiences. And they will ask you to confront those things. And your emotions, at the end of the day, have to be sliced open in order for there to be healing. You have to go through some pain in order for peace to come. Or 
Let's think about maybe we have an issue with our money. We've dug a hole that's so deep by buying things that we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like anyway, right? We are overextended. How does peace come for us in that situation? Well, if you listen to those who have gone before and tackled this before, the first step to get out of that kind of hole is to get out the scissors and cut up the credit card so that you don't dig the hole deeper. And what does that do? That hurts. Ouch. I got to cut the cards up? But that's the way to peace. One more. Maybe you go to the doctor and the doctor finds something in your body that doesn't belong there. If you do nothing, it will not go well for you. You'll just get worse and worse. What is the way to have peace in that kind of situation? It is to let the doctor take a scalpel and cut you open to remove that thing that shouldn't be there. Peace comes by way of a knife. And do you see? If peace is the end of something, then to get to that peace means someone has to start something. Peace means that conflict of some kind has to happen. But in all of those scenarios we just mentioned, you would gladly invite that pain, that conflict into your life because you know that that's the way to peace. Jesus' purpose is to bring peace to us. And if his purpose is to bring peace, what does that imply? It, it means that we don't yet have it. See, you don't make peace with friends. You make peace with enemies. Romans chapter 5, Paul says that we were enemies of God when Jesus came and died to reconcile us to him and to make peace. Jesus has to come and start something. He has to come into a world and point out the disease that we've just pretended didn't exist. We, we've just lived with it thus far. But he comes into the world and he points to it. He comes into the world and he starts something. He pulls out a knife. He pulls out a sword. And he starts cutting. And so this is the threatening truth about peace. Peacemakers make people mad. There's a guy named Thomas Trezina, and he, he says this, peacemakers are honored insofar as they speak about peace as something already victoriously won that we can celebrate as a part of our glorious past, or something that will be won in the other world. They continue to be dishonored insofar as they continue to point out injustice and hypocrisy and suffering. Peacemakers are noble when their actions bring to light problems that are far away from us. But peacemakers are an odious nuisance when they point out our own sins. Peacemakers make people mad. Jesus was a peacemaker. Jesus will say it this way himself. He will say in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. What do you mean? Well, his whole purpose was to bring peace. He didn't really mean that peace is never going to come. What he meant is that peace only comes by swinging a sword first. And so that's what I've come into the world to do. And Simeon points this same thing out with his words in Luke chapter 2. 
It says, Simeon blessed them, and he looked at Mary, Jesus' mother, and he said this, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and it will be a sign that will be spoken against. He will be a sign that causes division, right? So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then this, and a sword, he looked at Mary, will pierce your own soul too. Jesus brings with him into the world a sword, and even his mother doesn't get to escape it. And there's several ways that we could talk about that Jesus comes into the world and brings a sword. Let me give you just a few. Number one, Jesus brings a sword to humanity. Jesus brings conflict among people. Simeon says to, this, uh, to Mary, this child will cause the falling and the rising of many. What does that mean? It means that Jesus will be polarizing. Some will see that he has brandished a sword. And some will say, you know what, Jesus? I love you. I'm going to fight with you. Some will see that sword and they will start swinging against it. And it's easy to see why. Jesus came into the world and do you realize what he claimed? He claimed pre-existence. Before Abraham is, I am. He claimed that. He claimed to be God in flesh sent from heaven. He claimed to be equal with God himself. He claimed to be Israel's God specifically. He claimed to be able to forgive sins. He claimed to be the only way to life. He claimed that he would one day judge the world. He claimed that he was worthy to be prayed to. He claimed that he was worthy of being worshipped as God alone. He claimed all of the titles that were, to that point, reserved only for God. Titles like Shepherd of Israel and Alpha and Omega and uh, the Almighty and a lot of others too. He claimed that he was the fulfillment of the temple. He claimed that he was the fulfillment of God's given law in the Old Testament. He claimed that after he died, he would rise again and then he would come again to bring judgment and salvation. You know how outrageous those claims are? Just try two or three of those with your family today. See how that goes for you. Other religious men pointed the way to God, but Jesus points to himself. I am the way and the truth and the life. And then he proved it by doing things that only God himself would be able to do. And those kind of claims are going to put people at odds. Let me take you back to Christmas Eve on the front in 1914. It turns out that there wasn't just one instance of enemies ceasing fire and having a spontaneous Christmas gathering together, but there were dozens. There might have even been hundreds. All over the front, there were these spontaneous celebrations of Jesus being born into the world between enemies combating in a war. And at one place, uh, the celebration even turned to more. There was a German lieutenant who wrote in his diary that eventually the English brought a soccer ball from their trenches, and pretty soon a lively game ensued. And he wrote this, how marvelously wonderful, and yet how strange it was. The English officers felt the same way about it. Thus, Christmas, the celebration of love, managed to bring mortal enemies together as friends for a time. 
And again, that's wonderful, right? That's the good news of Christmas, that Jesus brings a sword into the world and lots of us have chosen to follow him and to live out the peace that he brings. But the terrifying is that Jesus brings a sword and some people will swing back at that sword. Not everybody was on board that Christmas Eve in 1914. In another account, there was a single German soldier that actually scolded his fellow soldiers during the Christmas truce. He said, such a thing should not happen in wartime. And he said to his fellow soldiers, have you no German sense of honor left? That soldier was 25 years old who objected to Christmas Eve soccer with the enemy in his name. Can you guess? Adolf Hitler. Hitler. So here's somebody in the middle of a conflict, warring to end that conflict, fighting to end that conflict, who has experienced for a moment a pause in that conflict because of the person of Jesus, but he continues to see not Jesus, but only guns and bombs as the solution for the conflict. See, not everybody buys what Jesus is bringing. They have their own ideas of what will bring peace. And Jesus brings a sword to humanity. Now, if you didn't know that about that little piece of trivia about Adolf Hitler, didn't you get a little mad when I said that, right? Of course. Of course it's Hitler. I mean, of course Hitler's the only one that would be so cold on that Christmas Eve that he would miss the meaning of Christmas entirely, the meaning of Jesus coming into the world. And it's easy to be mad at him until I realize that that's exactly what happens in my own heart too. That's the next place that Jesus brings a sword. He brings it to our hearts. Jesus brings conflict among people, but Jesus brings conflict within people. In Luke 2, Simeon is talking to Mary and he says, a sword will pierce your own soul too. And it did. It absolutely did. There are, if you track Mary's journey through Scripture, there are, in to- there are times that she shows clearly that she does not understand what Jesus was trying to do. At one point, she thinks that her son Jesus has gone mad. She gets all of the siblings of Jesus together and they go out and they try to bring Jesus home. They try to go straighten him out. And she's conflicted inside because she knows that this is the Christ. This is the Savior of the world. The angel came to me. I know that this is true. And yet, this is surely not how it's supposed to go. That's where we all are, isn't it? Jesus is Lord of my life. Yes. Oh, wait a minute, but I, I didn't know the Lord of my life would ask me that. You mean, you mean you want me to, what? You want me to do that? When we come to Jesus, some battles are just over, and it's a great thing. We are forgiven, and so we don't have to fight that battle anymore. We, we, are, we don't have any more guilt or shame. There is now no condemnation for us because of what Jesus has done. We don't have to fight those battles anymore, but there are other battles that are just ramping up. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, then his enemies become your enemies. And those enemies are limited in their power. They they can't condemn you, but they can accuse you. 
the world, the flesh, Satan. They, they can make your life miserable by robbing your love and your joy and your peace because that's their mission. So every day we have a choice. Will I let God win my heart today or will I let his enemies? And that sword is always there. There's always that battle going on inside of us, inside of our hearts for who will be king. And Jesus brings a sword to our hearts. Here's the last thing, and this is the amazing part of the sword that Jesus brings. He brings it to himself. Jesus brings conflict among people, and Jesus brings conflict within people, but he also brings a conflict to the earth for people, and it's wonderful, and it's terrifying at the same time. It's wonderful because somebody has come and fought the battle for us. Somebody has swung the sword when we couldn't do it for ourselves, and we've won the war, but it's terrifying in that that someone had to swing a sword, and he had to die to do it. John writes that Jesus moved into our neighborhood. He camped out in human flesh. He tabernacled among us. He was born as a baby, and he came to start a conflict in the world. He came as a peacemaker with a sword, and the conflict that he started ultimately means that at the end of the book, he takes the sword himself. He is pierced he is hung on a cross so that we can have peace with God, so that the broken relationship between us and God would end once and for all. And so the peace that we're after comes by way of a person, a person named Jesus, who brings a sword and who takes a sword himself, and in the end, there's more peace than we can ever conjure up in our mind. And so here's the question as we end today. If peace means the end of something, and to get to that peace means that we need to start something, then what do you need to start today so that the end of something comes, so that the peace that you're after comes? What Christmas carols can you start singing in the dark in your trench that mean the end of the fighting, and maybe even that a soccer match breaks out? What can you start today? Can you start a relationship with Jesus that will mean the end of your guilt and shame and fear and death? Can you start a new chapter with Jesus today that will end your hate or your unforgiveness or your aloneness? Can you start to read Scripture today and end your ignorance of what is in the Bible? Can you start to pray and end that feeling that you have that God is far off from you? Can you start to serve today? Can you start a ministry today and end that purposelessness that sometimes you feel in your life? Can you start to speak today and end the silence with those people around you so that their lostness ends as well? Can you start to love somebody that looks a little different than you and end the indifference that you have towards that group of people? Can you start to give today and end the selfishness that reigns in, in your life? Starting something brings a sword, but it ultimately means the end of something. 
Jesus brings a sword and he takes a sword and it means the end of sin and death for those who believe and there is no greater peace than that. God, would you give us peace through our Savior Jesus Christ who has fought on our behalf and won the battle. Would you help us have the courage to start something today so that peace comes to us, so that we can experience it. And it's in the name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus, that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Would you stand? Let's worship together.